You're listening to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast, a product of the Oregon Basketball Coaches Association. To learn more, visit our website at or.nhsbca.org. Welcome to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. I'm Derek Duman, OBCA Vice President and Boys Basketball Coach at West Albany High School. Today, I'm joined by Greg Werner, formerly the head boys coach at Tillamook High School. Coach, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks, Coach, for taking the time to speak with us. Uh, for those that might not be familiar with your coach, can you uh, give us a little bit of background on you, uh, your basketball history, and, and what, what led you to be the boys basketball coach at Tillamook? Sure. Yeah, so I... Uh... You know, I, I grew up here in Tillamook and, and played for Coach Lamb. Uh, you know, he uh, was a major part of my basketball journey, uh, and you'll hear a little bit more about that as we go through this. But I I uh, played for him, and then I, I went to Linfield and played a couple of years, graduated from there, uh, was working in the private sector, and then my wife and I decided that we were going to move to Madras, Oregon. And so we did that in the spring of 97. Um and by chance, uh, a teammate of mine at Linfield, Kirk Shelley, was uh, the athletic director, uh, teacher coach, uh, football and basketball at Culver, which is uh, just south of Madras. So, uh, you know, he invited me out to come help out with football. He knew that I had played football. And so I go out, and, and they're 1A at the time. Um, long story short, so I ended up doing that, and it was just – it was. Uh, you know, something I'd really missed, but I didn't really even know how to kind of itch that, um, scratch that itch. So I, I ended up helping. We ended up making it to the state championship, uh, in football, eight man. And then, um, I said, well, I got a position open in, in basketball, uh, JV level. So, uh, I did that. And that was, uh, that was a great way to cut my teeth. Uh, just an amazing community. Uh, the kids were, were great. You know, of course, I, I had them in, in football, basketball, and then ultimately I, I did a couple of years of baseball there as well. Uh, and then uh, Kirk got the job at Summit when they opened up Summit and Bend. And so uh, I followed him there and, and was a, a JV defensive uh, coordinator for football and, uh, and then also for basketball as JV coach. And so that was like, you know, 5A school. So going from a small school to a big school um, and then also starting up a school uh, was was an adjustment. I, I'm not really sure I was prepared to to take. I just didn't really know what I was getting myself into. So um, ultimately it made me a better coach. But there were some pretty tough years there uh, in the IMC. I mean, you had, you had some really – Great programs, uh, you know, with Mountain View and, and Bend and um, Redmond at the time with Lumen Brothers and uh, you know Pendleton and Hermiston and you know so it, it was it was full on schedule. There were there were no weak links. Um, so I did that for six years, and then um, you know I'd been in contact with Coach Lamb and he he. Um, had been assisting uh, the coach that took over him, Coach Iwani, um, who was also my eighth grade coach. So, long story short, he 
you know, he contacted me and, and said, hey, I, you know, are you interested in coming back to Tillamook? Which I, I never thought would be possible. I was, you know, I was just doing my thing and never really thought of that. And, and that happened, um, let's see, in the spring of 07. So then I moved back to, moved back to uh, Tillamook and uh, started teaching and coaching here, uh, you know, and then uh, Coach Lamb was able to coach with me uh, 11 or 12 years. I can't remember in there somewhere. He had a total of 50, so pretty amazing uh, situation. So I was blessed to be able to have that. And then, uh, you know, I retired after the uh, 2019 season of which uh, I had a past player take over for me. So it kind of brings us up to date on, you know, where I'm at and what I've done up to this point. Yeah. Coach, I want to follow up with, with the summit thing. I think, you know, like opening a school, you talked about, I can only imagine the, the difficulties and challenges that you guys faced. Uh, what what did you learn specifically from that experience, and, and what were some of the hardest things you faced in starting a, a basketball program from scratch? Yeah, like I said, I had no idea what was in front of me. Um, you know, because I – I don't want to boast, but I'd always had success with basketball, you know, and, and whether it was playing or coaching. And and so you're starting something up from scratch. There's, there is no culture. There, there's just nothing. And so we, I was a JV coach and we had no, we had no seniors the first year. So we had all these freshmen that were, it was a really great class. Um, and so they, they were scattered you know, throughout the varsity, JV, Frosh, um, and it was hard to schedule. Uh, we were not in the IMC. No, I take that back. We were in the IMC. We were not in the IMC for football, but we were for basketball. So we're we're mm-hmm. playing the Redmonds and the you know the Mountain Views, and so for my squad, it was really tough. Like if we played well, we lost by thirty. If if we didn't, we lost by fifty. Mm-hmm. And, and they were great kids. It's just that, you know, that there's just no experience there. You had no youth program feeding into it, um, you know. So it was it was a it was a tough push. But like I said, you know, we we were able to get through that first year, and that's when we started going to like uh, Gonzaga team camp, uh, and we started, uh, you know, Kurt started uh, creating a, a youth program travel teams and so and that, all that stuff had already been set up for the other schools uh you know so it, it was it was something that was really rewarding but also very challenging to get through those games with the kids because you know at, at some point you, you just it, it's hard when you're getting beat by 50 mm-hmm. so i had to find ways to uh shorten the game you know and and uh and then once we got into the second and third season, then we were very competitive, you know. But opening up a school is is not an easy thing to do. Um, yeah. But you know, a lot of those lessons that I learned through that, um, you know, paid off down the line. Um, and that's what I would tell you know other coaches that you know if, if you're in it long enough, you're going to be on both ends of it. You, you, you know, you're going to have those years where it's just you can't find a win, and then you know the years where it just all comes together. So, 
uh, you know, just stick with it. And, yeah. and ask those people around you, find somebody that, that you, you know, you can use as a sounding board and that you trust, um, that can be, you know, a mentor. Cause you know, it's a, it's a, it's a major change to your, your lifestyle. Um, I mean, you're committed to it and the kids are spending more time with you than they probably are their parents. Definitely at the varsity level. So it's a, it's a major commitment. I mean, I, I wouldn't get into it unless you're ready for that, that uh, level. Sure. Yeah, Coach, I want to talk about, you know, Tillamook. You grew up there. Uh, you got the opportunity to come back and coach there, which I think is pretty cool. One of the things that's cool about Tillamook for no one that's been there is your community support. Um, and uh, you play at the Brick House, I believe is what it's called, right? And I've heard stories of, of coaches that have gone in there and just say it's it's one of the coolest places to play. What did you do and, and how do you kind of build that community support uh, to build such a cool environment? Well, I'd like to take credit for that, but that, that happened way before me. So Coach Lamb came in, in uh, I think, 73. He was a freshman coach and then the, the, the varsity coach left. and So he was there from 74 to 99 as the head coach. And so, you know, I played for him in, in there and, um, you know, just an amazing, uh, coach. He comes from Linfield, played his high school ball at Tiger and then went to Linfield Hall of Fame there and, um, got a lot of his coaching, uh, I guess cut, cut his teeth with Nick Robertson at McMinnville, of course, Barry. Um, he also talked a lot about, um, Ad Rushman, a football coach at Linfield, and and just how he, you know, he conducted his um, practice plans and all the way through the game strategy. And so, you know, Coach Lamb really built that. And then when he retired, um, Coach Iwani took over and uh, had a, a ton of success as well. I think he had like six state trophies in eight years. Uh, you know, and Coach Lamb was with him as well. But I would say it was built up over time. And as far as the, you know, it, it's just an echo chamber. It gets really, really loud, and the people of Tillamook are, are major basketball supporters. I mean, they all love the Blazers. They know their basketball. Um, so that was that was something that I just I wanted to be able to sustain. And I thought we did that, you know, and, and uh, you know, Johnny's going to do a great job with that. and. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a long, long tradition, um, and something that we're very, very proud of. Uh, and we like to hear that, that, that you know, it affects the other team in that way. Cause it can get, it can get so loud that you really can't, you can't hear. It's kind of like the, the 12th man for the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so loud that the, it prevents communication and, and you know, some people don't play in front of that. You know, I've I've coached um, at different places where you can hear the ball bounce. Right. You know, and it's it's, uh, it's a major advantage to us, and you know, it's just kind of been able to be, be able to be sustained throughout the years, which is it's pretty awesome for our uh, community. Yeah. Is there anything in particular that you, as the head coach, had to do? Was it just success, or? Is it like Hoosiers coach? Are you going to barber shops and, and talking to the, the town folk or 
Is, is there anything that you're doing uh, to sustain that that the student you know student body showing up, um, or is it just it's in their blood now and, and they they just show up every Tuesday and Friday night? Well, I would say with you know the tradition, it's like we talk a lot about like what do you want this team to what, what's your legacy here? You know, there's been a ton of success here, and so how how do you plan on uh, approaching that? And we do that every year. Um, I would say with the people that come to the games, you know, I was gone for probably 10, 11 years over in Central Oregon. Um, when I came back, it was the same people. It just got a little grayer. You know, so major, major support from the community. Um, you know, and if they, and they'll let you know, like, hey, what are we doing here? What are we doing there? Yeah, it's a little bit like, uh, Coach Jones, when he went to the barbershop and uh, radio, you know, um, you know, but it's all, it's only good. I mean, they're, they're very supportive of the kids. I mean, everything for the kids. So our, our community, I don't know if you know this or not, but I don't know, probably 50, 60 years, they've done a March of Dimes. Now it's called Dornbeckers. And in 10 days, we'll raise 200,000. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, and, and that's typically done. Uh, during the basketball season, so you'll have cool. you'll have these huge crowds um, that that show up at any home game. So it's it's pretty special. Yeah, coach, I want to talk about you know in 4A uh, the league that Tillamook is in. The the Coapa has been arguably the the best 4A league in, in the state the last five to ten years. Uh, you know, Seaside has won multiple state championships, Valley Catholic. Uh, I know, I think the year you guys ended up in the semifinals, you had three teams from, from your league. Can you talk about, I mean, how do you as a coach get your kids ready to play, you know, game in, game out in, in a league like that? So when I first came back, we had a ton of success. We won like four league championships and a couple state trophies. And then, um, you know, Seaside really came on with Janik uh, uh, Jackson. You know, as as a freshman, we we played him at at Gill, um, and you could tell he was going to be something special. And then, um, you know, Scapoose won it in 15. Seaside was uh, took second in 16. They won it in 17 and 18. And then Banks really came on uh, in that 17 season. And then they won it in 19. So yeah, it was, and then Valley Catholic was in the championship uh, two years in a row. We, we went to the semis in 17 and there were four, we had four teams from the Coapa trophy that year. Right. So it was, <laughs> it was crazy. Um, you know, if you could get through league, we always, we always felt like, Hey, we, you know, we're prepared for whatever's thrown at us, you know, maybe on the road, which was our case, right? But right. if if you could get to that league, then uh, you know you were well prepared for state. And then in the off season, you know it really it really motivated us to be able to to do that. Um, and so I, I don't know. Later we'll probably talk about the player evaluations I started doing um, mm-hmm. probably before this Quapa League thing kind of blew up. But I, I would say that that was a major. Uh, avenue for us to be able to compete so uh, that's kind of the approach we took was like 
know, just battle, win your home games, and then try to steal a few on the road and set yourself up for the playoffs, and then really anything's possible. Um, and so you know, the off season, we really we really focused on team chemistry and um, player development, and then trying to play a. I played like a five A six A schedule. Mm-hmm. I had to, um, and so that was how we kind of countered, um, you know, that that competition. It was it was pretty grueling, and I, I think it, you know, it still is. Um, it may it may cycle through, but uh, you know, it's it's still a really really tough league. Right. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about now, Coach, your player evaluations, as good as time as any. Um, you know, you and I exchanged some text messages talking about it a little bit. It kind of fits right now. Can you can you talk about how you did that um, and what that looked like uh, to prepare your kids for a tough schedule and, and to have success? Yeah, so we would we – would, uh, basically the month of June for us was dedicated to the – for, for team ball, you know, for, uh, you know, freshman, I'd try to get 15 games. JV, I'd try to get 20, 25. would take them to Gonzaga team camp. And then varsity, I would try to get between 25 and 30. You know, it's summer league, so it's it's different. You can play three right. games in a day. Uh, we would finish that out. We played a lot in Washington. Uh, Border War was backing us up at uh, Mark Morris. Um, that That is, I mean, there's some great teams up there. Um, and then, we would go off to Gonzaga and, you know, that's an eight hour road trip and a bus set with your team. So, uh, once we got up to Gonzaga, then I started doing, um, I started doing player evals about the second or third day at, at Gonzaga. So what would happen to us is we'd get up there and we, we play great. You know, we're used to, uh, mer- marine air here in Talmac and it's 68 <laughs> degrees and get up there and it's 98 and, you're playing all these these tough teams, and so uh, our kids started. You know, it, you can't fake fatigue. So uh, there would be some times where they would get frustrated with each other, and so we talked to them a lot about you know shaking hands with the beast. Like, hey, you're going to have to embrace this. You got to just keep pushing that wall, you know. And uh, honestly, a lot of our playoff wins on the road were from that experience, that process. They'd already been through it. Um, in a way. And then I started doing the player eval and, and uh, you know, I, I just wanted the player to kind of take it where they wanted to. I mean, it's kind of like this interview, you know, you kind of ask me questions and I just kind of kind of give you the answers that I'm thinking about. And so what the first thing I'd ask him is what's your role on the team? And then wherever that kind of went, you know, so then I could see if there's any red flags, like, you know, I'm thinking they're, maybe a JV player, and they're like, yeah, I'm going to be the starting point guard for the varsity next year. So I could, I could kind of mitigate that uh, through that process. Then I'd go through the expectations of the next season. You know, we always wanted to buy for a league championship. And a lot of times we did. Other times, you know, we, we struggled in that aspect for whatever reason. And then uh, we always wanted to play on the last day possible. I think what a lot of coaches, you know, I probably did it when I was younger. You know, I'd be like, yeah, we want to win a state championship. Well, if you if you don't, where do you go from there? Mm-hmm. You know, and so we started, we, and it was it was kind of a mindset type thing. Um, you know, we want to play on the last day possible. 
And so a lot of times I was you know, bringing home some sort of hardware. Uh, may not have been championship, may not have been second, but you know, there's a lot of times we'd play for third, fourth, fifth, sixth, something like that. And, uh, you know, so that, that helped. And then I'd come up with an action. Or they would come up with an action plan. Like, how are you going to do that? You want to do these things, but how are you going to get there? Um, and let them talk through it. And then I, to find my leaders, I would rate them out of, uh, I would give them five, out of five points, and then they would give themselves, they would rate themselves out of five points for a total of ten. And the first one would be like teammate. What kind of teammate are you? Um, and then work ethic. And then finally, how coachable are you? And I always told the kids, like, hey, I'm never going to lie to you. you. You know, I may, I may tell you things you don't want to hear, but, you know, you're, Parents aren't going to tell you. Your girlfriend's not going to tell you. you know, your, your AAU coach may not tell you, but I, I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm thinking. And so through that process, there's a lot of trust I felt like it was built because they were they were having a say in it. There was some ownership for them. Um, and then we would talk about free throw percentage uh, because we we put a lot of emphasis on that uh, in our in our program. Uh, you know, free throws are probably 25% of your offense. Um, great way to seal some wins, and, and it really helps us down the line. And, you know, Gonzaga pushed that as well. So they're kind of get it, getting it from both uh, both sides. And then the last way I would say, okay, what are you going to dedicate five minutes to every day that, you know, has something to do with basketball? And it could be something like I'm going to contact so-and-so, or it could be I'm going to shoot um, – so many free throws or I'm going to dribble or, you know, whatever their weakness was, we tried to point them in that direction so that they could, and they usually put well over five minutes, but it was just kind of a, you know, verbal contract like, Hey, this is, this is important to me. I'm committed. I want to follow through. Uh, and so I got a lot of mileage out of that. And I think it prevented a lot of issues down the line that maybe, you know, would have come up during the season. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we just tell them, like, hey, it's a snapshot. It's where you're at right now. You know, every year I have a sophomore that outworks an older kid, and I'm not going to prevent that. I was one of those kids. I, you know, I wasn't a great scorer, but I could defend and I could rebound, and I was, you know, I hit the open guy. So that's the messages that we were trying to cultivate throughout uh, the off season, and hopefully that it would, you know, go through the regular season and then playoffs. So that was kind of the player evaluation that I do. Yeah. Would you do anything where there was a check-in or something similar during the actual season or before the actual season? Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I also coached football the last four years, and I didn't do it last year or whatever, and now I'm back helping a little bit here and there. But, you know, honestly, we had – most of the successful teams I've been a part of, whether I played or coached, half of our guys were football guys. Mm-hmm. And so when I was coaching football, it was awesome because I was able to see those guys in a different way. And, um, you know, they, they begin to trust. And, and it, it was a pretty cool uh, effect um, because I hadn't done that until, until about, you know, like I said, four years ago or so, five years ago. But with the other guys, I would I – would, prefer that they play other sports. Um, they need to be coached. They need they need to have uh, other teammates, you know, leadership, competing, 
and working towards a goal. So I, if if they weren't doing another sport, then I would have a, a you know check in with them and see how you're doing and and making sure they're working on their game, getting in the weight room, that sort of thing. So that yes, yes and no, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. I, I really I really want them to focus on what they're in right then and then finish it. You know, right. if, you, if you don't like it, then finish the season and then, you know, maybe you don't go out next year. But that's a discussion you got to have with that coach, right? You don't just leave right. it hanging. So, totally. But, but yeah, that's how I approach it. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll return with more from Coach Werner right after this on the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. The start of school means it's time to sign up or renew your Oregon Basketball Coaches Association membership. OBCA membership includes access to exclusive resources that help personalize instruction, understand players' mindsets, and maximize the impact of your practices. Members also receive access to the OBCA mentoring program and have a voice in improving the game at the state level. Membership starts at just $15 a year. Register online today at or.nhsbca.org. Welcome back to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Derek Duman here talking with Coach Greg Warner. Uh, Coach, we, we talked a little bit about your player evals. Um, I also wanted to talk to you a little bit about your, uh, your program uh, teamwork uh, and your philosophy behind that because you and I were talking a little bit before the interview about what you do, and uh, I thought it was kind of cool how it started uh, and what you did with it. So can you kind of describe that to us uh, and to the listeners? Sure. Yeah, I. Uh, this is probably 2010, maybe 2009. I, My wife and I uh, were headed down to Utah. We were, we were driving to Utah, actually, and uh, taking some stuff down to her, her parents and and I had bought in this book, uh, 11 Rings by uh, Phil Jackson. And so we're reading it. Uh, you know, she's reading to me here. I'm reading to her, whoever's not driving. And we come across this uh, eightfold path to teamwork. And I was like, wow, that that's exactly what we need right now. Uh, not that we did, you know, we had poor teamwork, but it just really it seemed to put everything in perspective and it, it was synchronized and, so the first thing he talks about is the right view, um, like working together like five fingers uh, on a hand. You know, so the game of basketball is tough. I mean, if you have – if you don't have all five guys working together, it – you know, or girls, it's it's just not going to – it's just not going to equate for you. Um, mm-hmm. You know, at some point it's going to break down and, and you know, the, the other team's going to have the advantage. Uh, also, the other one is – uh, there's eight of them, of course, but the second one is right thinking. Uh, see yourself as part of the system instead of, like, uh, kind of just going rogue, I call it, you know, just doing your own thing, um, not really being a part of the team concept. Um, and so that that helped us kind of get everybody so that they were doing it together and not just going rogue. Uh, right speech. So I – after reading this one, I, you know, I really, I watched body language before, but I really started paying attention to it um, because we would have guys that would, would uh, say things under their breath 
either to the referee or other players. Uh, and then it, it would start to affect how they played. And, of course, it's affecting everybody else. Um, and then also, maybe more importantly, is what their self-talk is. And so you don't know what kind of damage that's doing because a lot of times, you know, you don't see it. So we would talk a lot about how you're talking to yourself and maybe some cues to help change that script, right? Because typically it's a script that you just kind of get caught up in. It's just the same thing over and over and over. It's kind of like Groundhog's Day if you've ever watched that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Right, Right action. So you're making the appropriate moves on the floor. You're not trying to hot dog or showboat. You're not doing things to disrupt the harmony with the team. So, um, you know, we and throughout the years we've had a few of those guys that you know they just they, they don't see a shot. They don't they don't like and and then uh, it seems like they don't want to play defense either. So we had a lot of long talks about that um, after practice and such. And so. You know that I think that had a lot of effect on some of our players as well because it, you know, didn't necessarily call them out, but you know, we shed some light on it and and uh, you know, it helped us down the down the line. Uh, uh, let's see, the next one is uh, right livelihood. Uh, it's about having respect for your work, what you do, um, help the community, like I talked about with the charity drive and things like that, and, and being able to. Um, you know, basically when you play in front of our our crowds, our community, it's really like an interview. I, I can't tell you how many times I've had uh, a business owner come up and say, hey, you know, what's what's this player like? I, I really like how he's on the floor, you know. You know and so then it was like a job interview for, for them. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of times that's how they did get work and, and uh, you know, help the community and uh, just made it a you know, positive for everybody involved. So we always tell them to be humble, right? Like if you make a great play, mm-hmm. be humble. Um, right effort. Um, you know, Coach Lamb was, I mean, even when I played for him, I, I would imagine this is his playing career as well as his coaching career and his, his competing, right? You're, you're competing together. Um, and then my, kind of my addendum to it is like your playing time will reflect your, your effort. So, you know, the kids really bought into that, and uh, it, was, it was huge for us. Uh, right mindfulness, number seven, involves coming to every game with a clear understanding of our, our plan of attack. Um, you know, being being out here an hour from everything. So when we would scout, we, we really like to go and watch live. And so that's, you know, that's, that's tough to do. We would go watch, mm-hmm. you know, there's so much film now that you can, you can watch, but we really like to watch the, the players interact with the other players that are not on film or the, how they interact with the coach or, you know, what their tendencies are on the bench, you know. So um, that one that one helped us kind of bring it all together for the players. Like, hey, we put together a scout for you, and this is, you know, this is what we think the best plan of attack is, and so let's do that. And so – um, a lot of times, you know, we may have to make some mid-game adjustments, um, and the kids were were okay in that. They trusted that. And they're like, hey, you guys want to spend the time out there scouting. 
and you know they're watching film as well. And then if we make a, an adjustment, they trusted us in that. Um, and you know, and with a young team, sometimes that's not the easiest thing to do. You know, and so um, it's part of the maturation process, I guess. Uh, and the last one is right concentration. It's about staying focused on what you're doing at any given moment and not obsessing about mistakes. Um, you know, or, or things that may happen in the future that are that are bad. We, I called it a clean slate. Like, if the play's over, next play. Just move on. You know, and if we need to coach them up, we'll pull you out. We'll coach you up. Um, maybe maybe it's a player that I don't have to say anything to. You know, I just put them on the bench and let them process. And other players really need to have direction. So it's kind of a feel thing. Um, and we talked to them about that. Like, you know, you, when you come to the bench and you, you you walk off and you go to the end of the bench and you're pouting, you know, that that's not what we want. You know, you guys need to be in this together. Um, and, you know, if we make an adjustment, then go with it. And over time, that really, you know, it started to go down to the, the freshman level. You know, it became a culture. Um mm-hmm. And it really, really helped out. And I guess the last thing, or not the last thing, but another thing that he had in there was stages of teams. And so we talked to him about what kind of, where we are as, uh, you know, what stage are we as a team? So stage one is shared by most street games and characterized by despair, hostility, and the collective belief that life sucks. Uh, stage two, filled with primarily with, apathetic people who perceive themselves as victims and who are passively antagonistic uh, with that mindset that my life sucks. Stage three is focused primarily on individual achievement and driven by the motto, I'm great and you're not. Um, so it's kind of a, a mo- organization that, like, I have to win. So it's about it's about them and not the team. Stage four is dedicated to a tribal pride and overriding conviction that we are great, and they are not. This kind of team requires a strong adversary, and the bigger the foe, the more powerful the tribe. And then stage five, which is the highest, is a rare stage characterized by the sense of innocent wonder and the strong belief that life is great. And then it says, see Bulls, Chicago Bulls, 1995 to 1998. So we, you could almost track where we were at. Um, like in 16, 2016, we were – we were probably between two and three. And mm-hmm. then when we made that late run in 17, we kind of went from a four to a five. You know, it, it was it was interesting to watch. You could feel it. It, it was, yeah. you know, and I, I can't tell you when and where that's going to happen, but, uh, <laughs> you, you know, the kids talked about the different stages. So it had an effect on um, – you know, their mindset as a collective whole. So those are two yeah, good documents I got. Yeah, from and we'll, uh, yeah, and we'll, uh, share contact information for listeners that want Coach, uh, to share that with them. I know he's more than willing to do that. Uh, Coach, how did you kind of roll this out to your team? We talked about you're on the road trip, you're going to Utah, and you're like, this is it, I'm all in. Um, how did you kind of sell it to your players, right? Because as coaches, we know, you know, when we're talking about our culture and our program, we we got to sell it to get kids to buy in. So how did you sell this to them? 
so I started with the varsity kids. I uh, once I got down there, I I we had a, a group text um, chat. So I'm like, hey, I got some stuff that I think is really going to help us out. So I I took our captains basically and ran it by them. And in fact, I did a lot of that. I did it, uh, you know, I if I had to make a, a pretty heavy decision, maybe with personnel, um, you know. I would pull my captains in, usually had two or three, and I would say, hey, what are your thoughts on this? You know, you have a say in this. And so that's how I approached it with them, with this uh, teamwork and such. Um, and so this was probably, man, like I said, 10, 2010, 11. And those guys are, were very committed. And so, it, you know, it didn't take much um, to get them going. And then I would follow up with them. Uh, at the beginning of the season, in fact, the whole program, you know, so we had to have buy-in from all the coaches, uh, and we we really made it something that that we wanted to have from top to bottom or bottom up, so that it wasn't like it was just one team out of the whole program. Um, and once they saw that the effect that it had, um, you know, they were going to get more buy-in. And then they started policing. I would say they started policing themselves, but you would hear them talking amongst each other and kind of correcting each other in a positive way. And so then I'm like, wow, this is this is awesome because when they say something, it's ten times more powerful than when I say it. Mm-hmm. So it, it was it was uh, that was kind of the approach that I, I took at the beginning of it. Great. Uh, Coach, I'm going to switch gears here just a little bit. I want to talk about a little bit of X's and O's um, and talking to some some different people in my research. Um, they noted one thing that was tough about your teams was your defense and, and specifically uh, a matchup zone that you guys would run for t- from time to time. Uh, what, what did you like about running a matchup zone, and, and how did you go about teaching that to your team? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I played that for Coach Lynn. I mean, I, in your research, <laughs> you probably saw that we ran a two-two-one to a two-three. I mean, it was mm-hmm. it was staple. Even when I, you know, I would imagine his entire career. And so when I, you know, when I learned it as a player, um, of course, I I tried to teach it uh, when I was at at Culver and Summit. Um, you know, we had other defenses as well, but when I came back. You know, of course, we were running the two-three and the two-two-one, and we, we kind of morphed it into a matchup, um, kind of like when I played for coach, and um, you know, it just kind of developed from there. We we even um, added some things, uh, probably a couple of years after I got I got back here that that I really hadn't done since I played. Um, likewise with the press, so. For for us, it, it was okay. Does our defense complement our offense, and vice versa? You know, and so we like to play fast, uh, and so we would we would uh, you know we would press, and then we would fall back into a two three. And when, when you teach a two three, it's you know it, there's there can be a lot of damage done at the youth level because mm-hmm. they you know they just plant the people at the elbow, and then you know it's 
it's really not effective. And so sometimes we had to defragment the, the players, and so we probably wouldn't run it at the lower level. We would say you have to learn man principles before you can run an effective zone, because it's it's really hard to um, get to the point where the guys are making the same read at the same time. It's kind of like your dribble drive offense. You, you know, all five guys have to be linked, and so when we would a- approach that at the varsity level and teach the matchup, uh, we would of course break it down where we just have the guards. And we'd have a three-man front, and uh, you know there's, there's a plethora of different ways to to attack the zone. But we would really get the guards so that they were they were reading off of one another, uh, and so that you know they're protecting the free throw line and and and, and such. And then we would work with the, the wings. Really, your wings are uh, just as important as any other position because they, they have so much area to cover and they have to communicate. So then we would we would go up against a, uh, like a triangle offense and we would mm-hmm. work on that for a long period of time. So it really we'd break it down and then we'd have the regular two, three rotations and then we would go into a matchup uh, once they figured out the two, three rotations. Mm. Uh, which takes time. You know, it may not it may not click the better part of the, the first, I would say, through preseason, maybe in the league, it starts to click the first year you teach it. Like, say, you graduate a bunch of kids, a bunch of, of, of uh, your starters, and people got playing time. So we would really uh, be methodical with teaching the rotations out of the 2-3. And then we would get uh, into the matchup part of it, which really when you run that, it looks like a, a man switch. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're guarding you're guarding a man and a half, and when the ball's in the air, you're moving. There, there's no delay. Um, and and so some teams would they wouldn't know what to run. They would they would try to run their man offense against it. Um, and then, you know, we may switch it up and go to a 20 switch, or we may, uh, which is, um, you know, a man switch, or come out in a 1-3-1. So once mm-hmm. you teach the 2-3, and then you get them into the matchup, and now you're able to run, you know, it, later in my career, I, we had to run, because we weren't as athletic sometimes, or as big, so we would have to run like a triangle and two, uh, depending mm-hmm. on what the you know the offensive approach was, or a diamond and one. So once they understand how to play man, and then they get the zone down, and then the matchup, then they're able to run different defenses because they understand, um, you know, the rotations in the zone, and then also man principles. So it's really to answer your question, you have to break it down into small parts like the guards and then break down the wings and then you know of course your guy in the middle um, they've got to be able to you know if they go to like a five out you know what's he going to do so then we got it to where we would just morph into like a a, a one two two Mm. so um, you know and when your guards rebound out of it it's it's really hard to, to play against right 
So if you, if, and we would force everything middle. Um, and so, you know, that was always a cue for us. And then we'd have the guards read the guards, the other guard. Um, and then sometimes the wing, you know, sometimes the, the, it may be a small adjustment, but it would make a huge difference. So maybe they have a baseline runner, and you just take it from wing to wing, and you allow that five to stay high, the, the center, mm-hmm. the middle of it. Um, you know, or, or maybe sometimes they have, uh, you know, a four out, and they're they're running a dribble drive. It helps kind of baked into it. Um, the, the problem you get with it sometimes is that, you know, of course, the more shooters they have, the harder it is to to be able to do that um, and be able to guard the backside three. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we, we would give that up, but then we would always have we would always have people in rebounding position because if you want to run, you you have to be able to rebound, and your four and your five are going to determine whether or not you can run. It's typically not your one, two, and three; those are usually, you know. So we would tell our four and five, like, hey, if you if you want to run and get layups at the other end, then you you better uh, rebound. Right. So and, and a lot of times it's hard to rebound out of a zone, but with a matchup, it seemed to uh, kind of put us into like a, a shell. Mm-hmm. So it was it was already kind of um, like I said baked into it, but it sometimes it would take. Maybe a season, maybe maybe three quarters of a season for it to click. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, I, I would I would definitely shy away from having it run at the lower levels. Right. Um, it's more work to to correct that and then get them into the the right spots. Yeah. So, uh, I want to talk about, you know, you ended uh, in 2019, you stepped down as as the head coach and handed it over, as you mentioned, to a former player uh, and who was your JV coach at the time as well. What did you do to kind of help prepare him uh, for that next step and, and stepping into the, the big chair, so to speak? Yeah, so Johnny, uh, he coached at – Shemekina for a year or two, uh, while his younger brother Jake, who graduated, played for us and played at Shemekina. It was like 2011, 12, somewhere in there. And so, um, while Johnny was going to college, he was also uh, an assistant on the bench for Coach A. And then out of college, he got uh, the head job down at Coquille, which, uh, you know, he just went straight to the varsity coach, which is hard to do. I mean, that, that's. You know, I had 11 years as a JV coach, and, and uh, you know, I I thought that prepared me pretty well to be a head coach. But so um, we had a a longtime coach uh, retire after 17, and then we uh, were able to get Johnny back as a JV coach. And uh, so he did that for a year, and it was an assistant on the varsity. And then the following year, he was a co-head coach. So we were able to kind of, I was able to just kind of pass it off to him, you know, where, I don't know, probably halfway through the season, he just became the, the, the coach that would stand and direct and, you know, he was, 
managing the game. Um, I was more of a of an assistant, uh, and it worked out really well. And then uh, the next season, so it would have been 20, he uh, he was just the head, you know I didn't coach with him. I just was helping out behind the scenes if if he needed and that sort of thing. So the the kids and the, and the plan there is you know those kids that are in the program to not look at me as the head coach if I was on the bench and then, you know, they could, they would look at him and, and that sort of thing. And so, you know, X's and O's, he, he, uh, you know, he played for us and he's got a, uh, uh, he's got a great coaching style and the kids are buying in, uh, you know, so felt good about that. And then I just help out wherever I can um, with, you know, maybe drills or I see something or, you know, just kind of a, a sounding board for him. Um, and then maybe down the line, you know, like Coach Lamb did, I, I'll jump back in there and and help him out uh, if need be. Uh, but, yeah, that's that's kind of how we did the transition so that it it became his, right? You know, he needs to make his, mm-hmm. his own mark on it. And um, so, yeah, that was that – was, uh, I thought that was a, a very effective way to do it. Yeah, um, and, and keep the continuity and and whatnot. And so we have another. Um, in fact, we have all three. All three of the coaches are past players, so it's, oh, it's cool. been pretty special. It's been pretty yeah. It's been pretty fun to watch those guys mature and then take it on themselves. What advice did you give him uh, with dealing with parents? Yeah, so that that's always a tough one, you know. That that's going to be a, a constant. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter if you're one A, six A, you know. So, um, I got to the point, you know, I I went to a clinic and I listened to Coach Johnson from Barlow, and and uh, you know he had a handbook and he he really um, it just made sense to me. And you know, Coach Lamb kind of had the same uh, philosophy, and that and that is like, hey, we're not, we're not going to talk to the parents about playing time, you know, and there's a time and place to approach a coach. It's it's not, you know, during practice or after practice or after a game. I mean, you need to probably give it 24 hours. We'll set up an appointment with you to talk. But I'm not talking about playing time, and I'm not talking about other players, unless it's a safety issue, you know, like something's going on there. But that, mm-hmm. that basically was, uh, you know, our approach. And we're cordial and everything's great, but it needs to be the kids' experience. So when we would have, uh, we'd probably be about eight, eight, nine, ten practices in the season. Uh, we would like to get between 15, 16, 17 practices in before we play, which is, you know, probably not optimal anymore. But um, we would have an inter-squad scrimmage, and uh, you know, Kurt did this when we were at Summit, and so I just. I carried it on when I came to Tillamook, and so we would have an inter-squad scrimmage. We'd bring in the, the officials from our association, and they would officiate the, the game. You know, we'd do two quarters um, uh, for the lower levels, and then we would do uh, two quarters for the varsity. And then we'd have a parent meeting afterwards. So it was a, a great way to talk to them about just that, like, hey, this needs to be your your son's experience, you know, we don't really want you living through your kid with athletics. You know, we want you to support them. 
Um, I had a best friend that I played with here at Tillamook, and, and he'd get in the car after a game, and it was just on, you know. So it, it became mm-hmm. very burdensome for him. And so I always carried that through um, when I started coaching. And that, I think that it kind of sets a tone. I mean, I, I, I guess there's probably, way, you know, people that were they didn't really like that approach, but I, I, I thought it kind of gave some boundaries. We we want to do this with you, but we we don't want to have it run from the stands. Um, and you know, knock on wood, most of that went really well. Um, yeah. And so you know, Johnny's kind of taking that on as well, and um, you know, so that's that's kind of how we handled the the, the parenting thing and and the players and um, with playing time. And so we, yeah. we got to where we would, you know, with the players, they would ask, you know, if they wanted to meet with us, we'd be, hey, we'd love to meet with you. Mm-hmm. Anytime, you know, your player wants to meet. And I I started using, when I came back to Tillamook, I started using the value point system um, that Danny Miles used at OIT. Mm-hmm. Uh, very effective. So, you know, you know, it's not just focusing on scoring points. You know, it's, right. it's the entire game. So that that helped as well. So that kind of put the focus on your your entire game, not just you know who's scoring the points and getting the glory, you know, type thing. So uh, yeah, that, that added some boundaries as well, and, and Johnny uses that too. So. Yeah. All right, we're gonna take another break. When we return, Coach Warner will try to beat the shot clock here on the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Stay up to date with the Oregon Basketball Coaches Association on social media at facebook.com slash OregonBCA or on Twitter at ORHoopCoaches. Welcome back to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. We're talking with Greg Werner, former boys basketball coach at Tillamook High School. Uh, Coach, for my next set of questions, I'm going to put you up against the shot clock. I'm going to put 35 seconds on a timer and ask you some rapid-fire questions. Uh, And we're going to see how many questions we could get through in 35 seconds. Sound good? All right. Let's do it. All right. Uh, I should know these should be one- to two-word answers. Uh, We can jump into specifics uh, after our possession's over. So we're going to to have to move move through it here a little bit. All right. 35 seconds on the clock. Starting now, do you think Oregon high school basketball should have a shot clock? Yes. If you're up three with less than 10 seconds, do you foul? No. How big of a lead do you need before you pull off a press? 15. What's your favorite way to guard on-ball screens? Edge. What's your favorite basketball movie? Hoosiers. How'd you celebrate after a big win? Locker room with the guys. What's one word officials would use to describe you? Intense. Time. Nice work, Coach. That was good. Good possession there. Good possession. <laughs> no shot clock violation. Right? No, no shot clock violation there. <laughs> Nothing but net. Um, Coach, I, I, you know, I call it the shot clock segment because um, it's a fun way to, to do things, but also – you know, the shot clock is a, a key topic 
uh, not only in the state of Oregon, but across the country. You mentioned you were in favor of adding it to the state of Oregon. Can you elaborate on why that is? Sure. Yeah. So there's a couple different reasons. Uh, I don't know if you know Coach McBeth at Central. Um, great coach. Yeah, he's just um, amazing. But he, you know, when he was at Central, he would he would take the air out of the ball. So if he didn't have the lead, you know, he, we couldn't run our two-three zone against him. Um, you know, he had the athletes to be able to just play stall ball. Um, and so it, it was kind of aggravating in that aspect. Like, you know, we need something to, to get this so that it's faster paced. You know, it was a good strategy by him, but, um, mm-hmm. and then I would say, you know, we, we play a lot up in Washington. So during the regular season, I don't know how many years we did it, but we played Ridgefield. Uh, you know, when we play up there, we only had one shot, uh, one shot clock violation, and that was going into a, a halftime. You know, I was doing our, our stall game, trying to get one last shot before halftime, and then the buzzer goes off, and, you know, I was like, what's <laughs> going on? But, you know, really, um, you know, we do that in the summer as well in Washington. And I, I just, you know, with our, with our tempo, we're probably going to get a shot up in 10 seconds anyways. You know, ten to fifteen. Um, so I, I just think that it, you know, the, the game's played pretty fast now. I mean, most most teams that you're going to play are, are going to get up and down. Um, now, defensively, it could create some issues. You know, where you, you're just not developing your defense, but you know, ultimately, you're going to have to. You're going to have to play defense anyways if you're going to win with the shot clock or not. So I, I would definitely say yes. Um, I think it would be good for the high school game. Yeah. How do you go or how did you go? I think you may have mentioned this a little bit earlier about selecting your, your team captains. Yeah. So, you know, we have to travel so far on, on our bu- little buses, mini buses that that's really where I started finding my, my captains. You know, if they were c- controlling the bus, uh, even if sometimes it was in a, I won't say a, a negative way, but it was, you know, like, well, these, these guys really have control of, you know, off the court. And then I'd say the other place is definitely the locker room. You know, when you, when you go in there, you can, you can definitely tell who's setting the tone. Um, and again, that sometimes that's not always positive, but I, I think if they have those leadership skills, you can you can definitely, if it is positive, positive, you can reinforce it, and then you can, um, you know, I always had I always had a senior. It seemed like that wasn't wasn't good enough to be in the starting lineup, or maybe even the rotation, but they would agree to play that role make us better in practice. You know, they, they didn't get to play JV. They, they may not get to play in the varsity game. Um, and a lot of times I would have those guys be uh, the captain because that, that might be the hardest position in, in basketball, mm-hmm. you know, to, to put all this time into something and then not have a guaranteed outcome. Um, and then I would talk to the other guys, you know, on the side, like, hey, if you want to reward these guys, you need to get a, a good enough lead that we can get them in. Uh, and that would 
that would create even more, you know, energy in, in a positive way. And, um, yeah, so that that's kind of the way I would I would pick those guys um, as leaders. And then as, as the captains, I, I, again, I would give them a lot of say in what was going on. You know, I was a deciding factor, but I re- honestly listened to what they would say. Um, mm-hmm. So, for instance, I had – in 2014, we ended up taking third in state, and we had a kid that that uh, just vanished on us at the beginning of Christmas break. And we, we played, like, probably, I don't know, six, seven games during that time period when he came back, and I was going to cut him loose. And I, I called the, the three captains in, and one of them, you know, our point guard was kind of like, well, you know, whatever, we, we've done it without him. And so he just kind of walked off. Another one um says uh you know he kind of did this in in this sport and he was just kind of trying to process it and 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 uh you know think of how he was going to react and then our our third captain walks in and says I'll take care of it and he did and the kid mm-hmm. ended up being a major uh asset to us especially as we went into the playoffs because he could be that that shooter that was on the other team that we had to counter so in it, you know, if I'd cut him loose, then, you know, we wouldn't have had that. It may not have had the success that we did. Right. So. Yeah. yeah. Did you, yeah, did you give them any sort of uh, responsibilities or duties as captain? Yeah, a lot of times I would say, okay, uh, you know, so-and-so is really struggling. Let's, let's, you know, do something with them on the, the weekend or, like a couple of groups I had that were just amazing. They, I had them partner up with uh, incoming freshmen, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and kind of teach them what it was what it was like to be in high school and to do really well in the classroom. And um, you know, because they they were definitely struggling in that aspect. And over there, so I would I would kind of have them. Do that, uh, you know, before the season started. Sometimes, um, maybe after the season. During the season, you know, it's pretty tough because you're so focused on what you're trying to accomplish that um, you know, it's hard with the lower levels. But uh, you know, definitely, definitely have them surround people that were really struggling. Um, just so another layer of support. Which, you know, honestly, I think is is missing nowadays. Um, yeah. You know, definitely during the, the pandemic, you know, where they've been gone for so long that right, um, you know, it's hard to to manifest that that time together. So, uh, but yeah, up, leading up to that, that's we would try to get those guys to uh, focus on guys that maybe are struggling in some sort of aspect of their life. Do you have a favorite team bonding activity that you would do? Uh, we talked about this a little bit before uh, the interview. And so I would go to team camp. We'd go up to Gonzaga, and that was that was like a, a rite of passage almost. Um, kids really looked forward to it, got a ton out of it. It was, you know, it's something I, I miss right now. 
Um, mm-hmm. Always look forward to the summer and, and going up there. And then I would say we would we would connect with um, local colleges, whether it be Pacific or Linfield or uh, Chemeketa, go down to uh, Western Oregon, and then we would, you know, we'd go there as a team and, and um, watch the game, and then maybe beforehand go bowling and definitely eat. Eating is um, a, a huge part of the bonding process. So we would have pregame meals uh, the night before a game and, and go to each other's houses and that sort of thing. So, you know, honestly, that's kind of what I meant. You know, things I miss the most are like practice, uh, the camaraderie with the guys and, and, you know, going on those trips. And, um, yeah, so the, those are the things I, I tried to do. Uh, Every year we would watch, whether it be the um, college football uh, championship or we would watch Rivalry Week with Duke and um, North Carolina mm-hmm. in the video room and you'd get pizzas and you'd have to choose a side and whoever lost, you know, had to do a little extra conditioning the next day. You know, just, just little things that would prompt, um, you know, teamwork and camaraderie and um, – you know, because if you're going to care for somebody off the court, you're definitely going to do it on the court. Uh, so that was my approach. Yeah. Uh, with bonding. How about a favorite drill? What's your favorite drill? I'd say stopping a score. So basically, you only you only score on defense. Okay. So it really encompasses um, half court defense, transition defense, which I I don't really hear anybody talk about anymore. Um, you know, maybe I'm not in the right place yet, but um, and then you got to you got to get a stop, and then you got to score at the other end, and then you got to come back and to stay on defense, you got to get another stop. So it, it kind of encompasses, uh, you know, it's a half court breaking back, so it's a, it's a controlled mm-hmm. scrimmage, but you can only score. So if you're on half court, so you start out and you're on defense, and my team's on offense. And I score on that half court, that first first attempt. Then you go to offense, and I go to defense. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then if, if yeah. you get a say, say you're on defense at, on the half court, and I shoot mm-hmm. and I miss, you get the rebound. You break down to the other end, and you um, you score. Then you got to stop me coming back. I'm going to try to score again on the, on the fast break, and then you get one point if you do that, and you get to stay on defense. The kids love it. You can. I typically do it four on four. Um, okay. I guess another one would be. Uh, I called it 34 and 43. So thir- the first number is offensive guys, and the second number is is. Uh, Defense. So 34 would be three offensive players versus four. Um, uh-huh. And so we we did a lot of that, like especially getting ready for Valley Catholic. That was huge, you know, and they uh-huh. they're all six six and we're five six. So we had to um, and, and or seaside, you know, really anybody in the league. But the right. the approach there is like you're always going to be double teamed, and so um, it really helped us with with that, 
you know, we do basically a give and go and flash from the weak side and, and, uh, then defensively it helped us read how to trap. If we ever had to, like mm. say we're behind and we had to go into a trapping defense. And then 43 would be, uh, four offensive players versus three. So, uh, the, the three defensive players really kind of fed into our, our matchup zone. Because you always have to have a guy at top and then two guys at the bottom. If you ever got inverted where you had two at the top and one at the bottom, it was just a layup. So those guys right. really had to learn how to shift um, on the fly because they had they had an extra guy that they had to guard. And then offensively, you're finding the open man and looking for your shot. So we'd only give them like, okay, you got you got five seconds before that fourth guy is going to be there. So you got to get a shot up. And then rebound and put it back in because you have an extra guy. So right, those are. I tried to do a lot of, uh, you know, three on three, four on four drills like that because there's nowhere to hide, right? Yeah. Right. If you're not an outside, then it's very evident. Right. So those would be a couple of that enjoyed. Yeah, in that first drill you're talking about, do you play to a score or is it like, hey, we're going to do this for ten minutes? team with the highest score wins? Um, you know, I would, I would put – so when I did my practice plans, I always had like five, ten minutes. When I first started, I would I would just – I would go until I thought it was it was right. Well, that was – that was not very effective. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I was like, well, okay, we can't do that. So I never practiced over two hours. So I yeah. had a 95-5 rule. I, I – we're going 95% of the time. Now we may have a, a Sunday where, or a, a Monday where we're we're setting stuff up, but I always have between five and ten minutes for the for the drills, um, and everything was competitive. It didn't even, you know, even to get a drink of water, I made everything competitive. So, and that's how I enjoyed when I was a player. I didn't want to waste their time. I felt like we got a lot of mileage out of that. You know, they. They weren't trying to conserve energy. Um, and I would say, hey, if, if, if I feel like you've gone hard enough and you've got your conditioning in during practice, then, you know, we won't make you run a 17s or uh, lines or, you know, six-minute drill or anything like that if you're getting your all. So that, that was also a way of, you know, keeping them on track and practice so we were we – were, getting something out of it. This practice without improvement is meaningless. And that's, you know, I just tell them that. Like, yeah. when you when you come out here, you know, you're leaving your ego and everything else at the door. You know, this is a sanctuary. Like, if you had a bad day, girlfriend broke up with you or broke the test or whatever, you know, whatever, leave that out. Um, and that was, you know, I, I think that, that made our practices so much better. I tried to make right. about a third of our practices harder than our games. Didn't always happen, you know, but, mm-hmm. and I also tried to get <clears throat> I, every guy so they could play two or three positions. Because mm. it, it never failed. Somebody would get hurt or they get in foul trouble or they're sick, you know, and then, you know, trying to play a game without a point guard or, <laughs> you know, five in the middle, it's just, not a lot of fun. So I would say to, to younger coaches, like, you know, put the time in so that they, they understand the different positions because mm-hmm. you're going to be in that 
situation sooner or later. Um, right. So, yeah. All right, Coach, I think that's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. And, and, and again, um, I'm always willing to talk to Oops, and, uh, you know, I look forward to seeing you again, hopefully in the near future. If you have any follow-up questions or want to get a hold of Coach Warner, you can find his contact information in the episode description. We hope you'll join us next time here on the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Until then, coach him up. Thank you for listening to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Is there a coach you'd like to hear from or a topic you'd like to hear us discuss? You can write us a message on the Anchor website or send us an email at OregonBasketballCoaches at gmail.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify.